Hi, this is David Vinson, and I'm the superintendent of schools for the Wiley Independent School District, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Martin. Hi, I am the Director of Counseling Services and the Wiley Way, and welcome to the Achieving Kids podcast. Our goal is to provide a better understanding of how the decisions we make help promote the best interests of our kids and community. We will tackle big subjects, entertain different viewpoints, but the focus will always be on equipping you with the strategies that will help them become Achieving Kids. Well, welcome everybody. Hi. Amanda, we're going to have a great day and we're going to talk about the most important and fun subject, responsibility, right? Yes, and we have Dr. Kelly Jameson back with us. Well, and that's what's going to make it fun because you're going to have good stories. (laughs) I hope so. We're not going to talk about me. We're going to talk about everybody else as far as that goes because, um, you know, I'll just start feeling bad about myself. No. No, I'm just Is that why you keep inviting me back? I never thought about that. (laughs) No. The thing is, you do, you're great. And the one thing that we hear from parents and teachers is that you provide a great perspective on how to deal with things in a practical way. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about responsibility and respect, it's two really big hot topics. And when we talk about that in, in relationship to all the stuff we've been going on with COVID and all the things in the, in the racial and uh, strife and we're in election season and our kids see how we act and it is in direct relationship. You know, they're going to act like we act typically, I would say. And, and so when we get into this, you know, our discussion, our hope is, is that we find a, a real helpful way to, to help our kids, um, navigate this and our parents in the same way yeah excellent let's do it so in september we had our very first wiley way day for this year and one of the lessons the kids learned about was exactly what dr vincent just said respect and responsibility so we talked to the kids about we actually just asked we wanted to hear from them because he did a focus group last year and asked a group of seniors you know do you feel like respect is earned or do you res- feel like resp- you're just born with it? And it was a 50-50 split within the kids. And so we wanted to hear more from the students and just say, like, who – It's because it's, it's hard to – you know what it feels like to be respected. It's hard to put that into words. Um, and so we asked them, who are, some, who are three people that you respect, and what is it about them mm-hmm, that good. you respect? To mm-hmm. kind of get some characteristics and yeah. have them kind of talk it out. And, you know, it was everybody from their coach, their teacher, a parent, a friend, you know, even somebody they have never met, but they follow on social media Mm -hmm. and they wrote out, you know, things that they respected about them. And so we also ask him, like, how does it feel? Like, what does your body do when you feel respected? Like, do you stand up straighter? Do you feel happy? All those kinds of things. But it was a big, wide variety among the kids and the teachers. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it's always something that's important to us because in, in wor- at work, if you don't feel respected or you're not respecting others, it inhibits you from going further. And so when we talk about having achieving kids, being happy and hopeful, we feel like respect and responsibility are two big pieces of that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that the answers were all over the board because I believe respect is correlated with value, mm-hmm. right? So it makes sense that the kids would respect a professional athlete mm-hmm. or their grandmother or their physics teacher, that's really just indicative of whoever they put on their list right. shares the same value system that they do. Mm-hmm. Maybe they value academics. Maybe they value physical ability. 
maybe they value kindness. So that makes sense to me. So respect is a word that I think everyone's familiar with. But if you sort of dig down into it, it's really just someone recognizing a similar value system in someone else. Hmm. That makes sense. So when you are having a discussion with parents and or the child that might be having a problem with kind of talking about respect or don't feel that maybe the, the parent doesn't feel like the, the child is, is being respectful or having a difficult time in their relationship. How do you approach it? Inside of a home, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, respect with the parenting role, um, I think is often misunderstood because parents believe they are owed respect, mm -hmm. right? Depending if they're quote unquote old school, right? <laughs> yeah. They believe that they are owed respect, but I think we've come a long way in understanding what a parent-child or like a family dynamic in general means. Mm -hmm. And it's more about mutual respect and dignity. Right. So we use the word dignity a lot when working with teenagers because they're on that brink of feeling so independent, yet they're so, mm. you know, not experienced in so many things. So sure. as adults, <laughs> we look at them and laugh because it's kind of silly, but... um Anyway, so respect and dignity go hand in hand within a household, right? So if you're, if you're having a lot of conflict with your children or your child or your spouse and you perceive it to be about respect, it could also be about dignity, right? So like treating the other person with respect means treating them with dignity. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's really important because it's hard to just expect respect from a child, without honoring them for who they are. Mm -hmm. It's misguided and it's, it's, um, it's, un, it's risky sort of because your relationship is on the line. Right. Every day. And, and let's be clear, this has been a huge generational shift. This is not the way it used to be. Mm. So every generation is getting a little bit, let's say better about this. But if you were raised in a household where you respected your parents no matter what, right. and there was no discussion and what they say went and was the rule. That's a really hard shift for you to make now as a parent in 2020 and hearing all these professionals say that it should be more about dignity and mutual respect and understanding and, and talking and listening and perspective yes. than just the rule is the rule is the rule. So you're asking adults who grew up in a very different environment to right. now be different. Right. And of course this happens with every generation, but that's, that's the, that's the crux of parenting now is, you know, we're hearing more research and some people buy it and say, yes, it does work better when I have a discussion with my child, when I do treat them with dignity over more of like a, you know, top down structure in the family. Um, but that's, that's hard. If you grew up in a really rigid old school house, right. it seems completely foreign to you to speak to your child in this way. And then they perceive it to be weak. Yeah. So it's, it's complicated. It is. And, and that is the perception. They feel like, you know, you because parents want to have that same reciprocation of respect and they want it maybe in a little bit different way or whatever that is. And as you just kind of alluded to, when you're 17 and 18, you pretty much know everything. So right. it's really hard to kind of bring that back to the notion of saying, and you can't say it. I mean, we all get to that point and we're mature enough to realize, well, you don't, I don't think you think you know everything. That never works. It's kind of like when you ask someone to calm down. It kind of sounds like what you're saying, though, is as a parent, I can think that I don't, I don't respect that behavior or I don't respect what you just did, but I can treat you with dignity in the conversation about that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And if, 
you know, I always go back to the thought that um, all negative behavior is indicative of a need that's not met, right? So oftentimes the child will pop off or say something and you immediately um, talk about whatever they said that popped off, but behind that they're frustrated or they're scared or they're tired or they're angry or they're hungry, mm-hmm. right? So we, we tend to just stay on the behavior and not what caused the behavior, which again takes time, takes patience. Yes. It takes um, being present with your child, mm-hmm. and it, it takes knowing when they're off and when they're on, and recognizing, oh, they had a hard day. You know what I mean? It's just, um, it's just being present with your child, which takes time and attention. A lot of which, working parents and parents in general don't have a lot of time these days to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've alluded to this before, but there's magical moments where you can take advantage of it, and there's times when you just do not need to be taught. You know, talking cows in college and was, you know, we're talking about something and, and we were talking about something that would maybe potentially could be kind of an emotional thing. I said, let's just not talk about this tonight. Let's, 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 let's regroup in the morning. There's no emergency that has to be decided right now. Yeah. But knowing that is a big way to keep that respect between he and I. And uh, knowing those cues is a, is, is a pretty common consideration. Yes. And I'm glad you said cues because a lot of times this will play out in a house where one parent is coming down hard on the child and there's another parent standing there yes. observing, going, oh, God, please stop. Like, It's always the mom doing it to the dad. Right? <laughs> please stop. Is there ever a dad with the dad doing it to the mom? Probably. Yes. 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 Oh. It's not all the time. Yes. But, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation is watching a parent come down hard on a child. And, you know... Let's say, let's say the dad's coming. Let's just say the dad's coming down well, hard on the child. It's okay. And then <laughs> I maybe, accept my role. maybe he hasn't been there for the two hours, you know, preceding that comment in the kitchen where mm-hmm. mom has. So she kind of knows what's up with the child or why he or she's off. But dad doesn't necessarily know. So now you've got a mom looking at a dad going, stop, like chill, mm-hmm. pump the brakes. And then by then the dad's dug in. Or didn't he just said the magical word, what? What? Yeah, exactly. That's not good either. Right. Just a tip. So there's lots of dynamics in the family household, but it's, um, you know, I've said this before. This is what we all signed up for. This is not easy. You know, it takes presence. Mm -hmm. It takes knowing every member of your family and knowing who's having a good day, who's not having a good day, and knowing when to pick your battles. Right. One of the things that we've been talking about, too, in terms of relationships and uh, the idea of keeping respect between teacher and student, between Mm -hmm. principal and faculty, principal and parent, is de-escalation. And, you know, one of the things that, that we were talking about before Amanda said that's really powerful is that, you know, respect is earned in drops and lost in buckets, you know. I love that. And it was an all Amanda. It's good. I, I did not make that up. I'm she like, did. That's a direct quote. From she was sitting on a rock. <laughs> it was very impressive. <laughs> and very, very, very wise. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it, it's that way, right? And we have to realize that that's kind of the case. And, and we've, you think that when they're older, it's going to be easier. And it's not. I mean, you really can. It's, 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 and especially I like to talk a lot. And so that I'm in the doghouse a lot, but doing that. Do you have any tips as far as your de-escalation about what you do for, in general terms, to make sure that uh, we avoid those potential issues that lose respect? Well, let's just start with the the idea that de-escalation is always the primary responsibility of the adult. Okay. Uh, Always. We should know better. Yeah. We 
<laughs> Should everyone? Everybody's <laughs> looking at me, and I think the thing is, is no, we're just, just you're just in the middle. Yeah, you're in the, in the middle. Yes. <laughs> but it is always the role of the adult. So this is hard because we're tired, right? And we're busy, and we're distracted, and, and we're right. not. We're, we're not always on our A game, so we get it wrong a lot. But whenever there's this, like he said, she said, you know, conflict in a family, it is it's always on the shoulders of the adult to start the de-escalation. Mm-hmm. We cannot expect a child or a teenager to start the de-escalation process. Mm-hmm. If you're in conflict with a parent or a teacher or a coach, you're the adult, be the adult. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care that you haven't had lunch. I don't care what your excuses are. In that moment, you're the adult, be the adult. Children cannot be expected to start a de-escalation process. In a situation with an adult where they're in the one-down position, that is unfair to expect them to take the high road and start the de-escalation process. So how to do that is, um, you know, this is about self-awareness and knowing in that moment to make a snap decision, which as adults we should be able to do, the whole idea of like pick your battles. Mm -hmm. Is this important? Is this important right now? Can this wait? Is this a conversation we need to have right now? Can we have it in the morning? All of these things are the responsibility of the adult. We cannot expect children to make those decisions when they're feeling defensive or attacked in a conflict. Just for people listening, if they don't know what the word de-escalation means, could you give a quick little, like yeah. what, what, what do you mean by that? Um, de-escalation is how to calm down. Okay. How to slow down an argument or a conflict that is spinning rapidly. Because mm-hmm. it gets worse or it gets better. And no, by the so way, I've learned, don't say calm down. That's not a good de-escalation that's, technique. That's, that's correct. That's the opposite. Don't tell someone to relax. Don't tell someone to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is, I think this is where, like you said, everything's harder. I, I mean, that de-escalating someone, because you're probably having to somewhat de-escalate yourself in the moment to help de-escalate whatever's happening in front of you, is hard because, Dr. Vincent, you've talked about before how some sometimes we run into parents with the best of intentions that are trying to get their kid to avoid that pain, to move away from the problem instead of move through it. Yeah, Martin Seligman's research at the University of Pennsylvania, and he talks very about the optimistic child. And, uh, and he talks about the idea of the self-esteem movement. And in the 60s, I mean, we said here is pain and avoid it at all costs because it lowers your self-esteem. And, um, you know, that's a dad loves, to, they love hearing that, right? Because we want to, let's teach some responsibility and get some grit. But the thing is, is this, when we do teach them all the time that pain is bad, avoid it at all costs, that, they, that trouble's going to come. It's going to come at your house, it's going to come at school, it's going to come at work, it's going to ha- come, and, and if you don't know how to, how to, to manage that, where under the, when you're not in the friendly confines of your parents or friends, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be tough for you. And um, when you talk about that, how do you, in that same right, get kids to realize that they're going to have to deal with whatever they're going to deal with. Yeah, I, I'm smiling because, um, you know, when I worked as a upper school counselor, you know, I spent most of my time with 
um, 11th grade boys always mm-hmm. ended up in my office. And there is something interesting about a junior boy's mental health, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah. That's the papers, year. Papers, many papers. That is the year where it's it's going to hit the fan, right? For most junior, not most junior boys, but if I had to put my money down on what year is a boy going to struggle, it's going to be 11th grade. There's so many factors at play there with their, uh, they feel so competent and they feel so strong and they feel so intelligent and independent, yet they have a ways to go, right? Mm -hmm. So the junior year boy is where I always have the conversation about the sandbox. (laughs) And this goes to what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, the junior boy says to me, what is the point? What is the point of school? And this is a boy who maybe has done well mm-hmm. yeah, or average mm-hmm. or maybe below average, whatever. He's gotten to this junior year and he's just like, seriously, what is the point of this? I'm going to, I'm going to finish high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to, a, a job that I hate to pay for a family that's ungrateful. What is the point of all of this? Right. And, and this is their, their line of thinking junior year. So I always say to them, or there's a, a teacher problem or a coach problem, and now they're too far in to quit their sport, and it's just mm-hmm. a hot mess, 11th grade. Mm-hmm. So I always say to them, okay, here's the deal. You have to sit in the sandbox and learn how to play nicely in the sandbox before we can let you on to the next playground, right, mm-hmm. which is college. Mm-hmm. You cannot sidestep the playground, right? There's no path around it. You have to go, and you have to sit in it. For another year or two, remember, this is usually the junior boy, Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to learn to play with the people in your sandbox, and those people are your teachers, and those people are your parents, and those people are your coaches, and those people are all the people that are expecting something of you that you don't want to do, and you have to spend time in the sandbox before we will let you out of the sandbox, and that is just the way, that's the rules of the playground, and man, they hate it. (laughs) They hate it, because in their mind, they're like, I'll just, whatever. I mean, I can get an apartment for like $600. I can, can, you know, I can work at Walmart and they they get this whole plan figured out, you know, or I'll start an app, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can make this money and I can split an apartment with my friend and they start spinning with this, with this plan. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they would just recognize, all right, I just have to sit here and learn to work through the difficulty of school or the difficulty of this team or the mm-hmm. difficulty of my family life. But we have, you know, you have to sort of instill hope while also selling the idea that they're getting something out of sitting in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's, there is value in working through that. And the value comes in your next chapter where all those lessons learned will help you in the next chapter. But man, they don't want to hear it. They don't. And, you know, it's the idea behind engagement. And if you have engaged people, they're going to think because they find value in what they're doing. Right. And it takes the right adult. You know, I'm not for everyone. Right. I'm not I'm not the therapist for everyone. And there are teachers that aren't the point person for everyone. And maybe you're not the point person for everyone. But there are enough people in education that every child should have a someone that can speak to them directly and authentically to reach that child. Well, you know, and one of the things that we have in Wiley ISD is we ask then request that uh, every student have at least one positive relationship with an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, on, on, on campus, and it makes a big difference because, you know, when we first started this, because we wanted to be intentional, but it started like 60%, now it's like, you know, 90 plus mm-hmm. percent. Yes, All of our kids have that. Because 
And, you know, it's really funny. It's not just the coach. We've had a guy that was the custodian in the cafeteria, and he had the highest number of people that wanted, they felt like they had a relationship with him. So they – and now he's a teacher, actually. He just finished his degree, and he's, t- he's teaching with us, in the, I think, the first or second year with us because um, mm-hmm. we found value in him building those relationships. But it's it's big. and But, you know, when you're in that moment, you know, and you have to say, this is where we are, and you're going to have to go work through it, and his, this is pain – and it's not the end of the world, um, but it is to them. And I don't want to trivialize that either, you know, mm-hmm. because it is like, uh, what did somebody say? It's only small surgery if not, it, you know, if it's not your surgery, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So. But again, it just takes that, that it takes the right adult to say that right. for it to land appropriately. Yeah. Otherwise, you just sound like a jerk to that kid. And, to, and parents sometimes are the least, right? I mean, it's hard for a parent to, to, to kind of work through that with them a lot of times, you know? And uh, I have to face that because I think... Good Lord, I've got experience. I've been, I can take care of, you know, 17,000 children. But, you know, even in your own situation, you have, ah, and, you know, let Christy handle it. But, boy, I want to. I can, I can take care of it in three minutes. Totally. I, I have that, com- I had that conversation yesterday with a mother daughter combination, you know. A lot of times I will say the same things a parent says. Yeah. But I didn't give birth to that child, right? Yeah. And if, if, you know, this was a, like a, a friend, girl, social, drama situation like someone was mean to someone else and the mom like went into mama bear mode you know like you just want to rip the face off of somebody who hurt your kid right but what mom says to that girl and what I say to the girl while very similar it just lands so differently Right. It lands differently. So it's so and I love that you do that in Wiley is, you know, have the each student really articulate who their point person is, Mm -hmm. because that person is so crucial and maybe not in fifth grade, but maybe in seventh grade. Yeah. You know, you can hopefully you, you file that somewhere and you can look it up and go tap that person and say, hey. Like, Emily's having a hard time. Do you think you can go start getting her path somehow today and just touch base with her? I mean, that's sort of the beauty of you know, having kids and teachers and this sort of structure because you can do that. One of the things that a kid said is an example of, we asked one of the, the kids, how do you know, uh, how do you uh, know when someone res- uh, respects you? How do they treat you? How does it feel? And, they, and this kid's, man, insightful. They accept my decisions and tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. Wow. And that's a that's a boy, I think, in the eighth or ninth grade. And I thought, man, I... Uh, there's college kids that aren't that insightful. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So, you know, respect and self-esteem go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And one of the characteristics, which is highlighted in that boy's comment of self-esteem, is being open to um, criticism, mm-hmm. right? And having honest conversations with people. Um, so I love that. That boy's advanced. Well, and it, it's so cool when people feel that way. And, and you know, one of the things that we want to do is kind of look back on the things that, uh, you know, some of the researchers say, a friend of mine, Tom Lacone, he's kind of the father of character education from SUNY Cortland. And he says that really when we respect other people, we recognize their rights and their worth. Respect restrains or stops us from doing something that might hurt someone. For example, if you're respect, you're, you have a respect for a person, you're going to avoid saying stuff, Right. But you have to earn that again to be that person that's going to be able to have that. And I think that we have to say that to our kids too, right? I mean, it's it's really tough right. to be in that spot. Well, if, it, if your kid comes home upset about something that happened with a friend or a teacher or coach or whatever, 
de-escalation needs to happen, right? Because in order to have a productive conversation, the adult always mm -hmm. assumes the role of being the de-escalator. Mm -hmm. So, but it also sounds like maybe having to know your kid and their cues, you would have to kind of de-escalate if you had multiple kids, maybe in a different way for sure. each kid. Yeah. I think a quick de-escalation tactic with a child who comes home who's upset. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, these kids are walking around keeping it together all, all day. day. So yes. the likelihood of them walking into your house at 3.30 or 4.30 and losing it is great. Right. And that doesn't mean something's horribly wrong with all of your kids. Correct. It's a normal occurrence. Totally. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my three kids walk in the door together every day, and one of them is going to have a meltdown. Yes. Right? Like, that's just the numbers game. Right. So, <laughs> you know, if it's my my daughter, right? She's in middle school now, so there's, like, girl drama oh, yeah. on the daily. Of course. Right? So, and she immediately, she immediately wants, she escalates, mm -hmm. right? Because now she's in a safe place where mm -hmm. she can, like, let her guard down and just let it all out. So, a quick de-escalation tactic for me is, what happened? Mm -hmm. What happened? Like, Give me the plot. Give me the setting. Give me the <laughs> characters. You know, and then she has to literally lay out the facts, which is making her go into a different part of her brain right. to go back to the facts. Yes. Right. She wants to tell me why she's upset or sad or disappointed or really angry, right? Mm -hmm. But that's her emotional brain. But if I can say, give me the who, what, when, where, mm -hmm. that has to flip into a different part of the brain, which is sort of a natural de-escalation where she has to think, okay... All right, it was before recess, it mm -hmm. was snack time, we were sitting here, these were the girls sitting here, mm -hmm. the teacher was there. You know, it's like if you force them to, to go back to the facts, it sort of de-escalates, which is a quick tip. I love that. Well, and then, because that also, as a parent, if you're only hearing from the emotional brain, that puts you into that mama bear mode or whatever, too. And so you may also need to de-escalate yourself before you take a phone call <laughs> or write an email oh, to the superintendent. <laughs> I get a lot of those. 24 hour. <laughs> it is tough. And one of the things that I see a lot of even teachers, and they'll want to start solving the problem during the present presentation, right? Yes. Oh, yes. I do too. Well, because I've got the answer. Shoot, I'm a therapist. I, yeah. <laughs> My brain starts the minute they open their mouth. I'm like, oh, I know what to I do. I know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the wisdom. I'm not even listening anymore. <laughs> And it is long, I mean, because those explanations can go rather lengthy. But it is hard, right? I mean, you yeah. know, it is hard. And, and and even with that, they'll even get defensive and start taking, uh, I've seen this happen, take the other person's side, which is, oh. But, I mean, it needs to happen. But it has that, how do you approach that when you realize the kid's maybe not done what they're supposed to be doing? Because as a parent, you know, you're trying to say, man, you know, that's awful thin slice of bread that doesn't have two sides. You know, I use all those comments that don't work. But, uh, you know, uh, and so I just don't really make those. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a good strategy in the moment, right? They have to get it all out first. And then once they've regulated, then you can circle back and, mm -hmm. and ask them a hard question like that. You'll get more likely to get an honest answer. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I've been the experience with this but as, as, a, as a parent it is totally different you know I really wanted to have a bucket that that says get over it and bring it in that's not also not a good key that I did not yeah, no. thought about it didn't do it self-awareness that says that's a no good plan here's your point. big old bucket of get over it kids <laughs> that's it See, that's that old that's old school yeah it's old school yeah yeah and it's uh so as we have just a few minutes left 
we come back to the idea of responsibility. So we've talked a lot about respect. And so, you know, I always talk to my kids and, you know, my own children and say, we have been some level effort, which means regular effort. Most people don't try very very hard in the world. If you just give a little bit extra effort, because we're going to measure everything, not on, on accomplishment, but effort. And we're just asking you to do basic things. And, you know, we're, I'm, I don't want to do that. And I don't say, sometimes I say that, because then, then, then that starts another fight. But how do you ask kids to show responsibility? And what is the way in that moment or that process to both take responsibility and show responsibility in a way that says, I want this for you so you're going to be successful in life, not that you were doing it just for some stupid rule? Well, I think you're asking two different things. I'll, I'll try oh. to be brief because I know we're running out of time. Um, there's two things. You ha- kids will do more in what they value. Right. So that's obvious. So they're going to do more in things that are fun to them that have value. Mm -hmm. But there's also this whole big thing called school, which is really not where a lot of kids find their true value, which is fine, too. But the line is always you do what you have to do before you get to do what you want to do. Right. So mom and dad have a job. School is your job. We do the best we can at our jobs. You do the best we can there. But also recognize that that may not be where your child shines. Right. And that's okay too. But it's a balance. Again, it goes back to the parent to understand the balance of they have to do what they have to do, which is school, before they get to do what they want to do, which is the fun thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the way most kids. Now, there's some high flyers whose school is their thing. Yeah. And that's probably, that's easy, that's an easier parenting role, let's be honest. You know, really, I've never thought about that. But mm-hmm. if they're good at it, then that's not the deal. That's not the deal. But they're going to struggle somewhere else. Nobody gets a pass. Oh, yeah. Everybody. That's what. We have that conversation with the kids every once in a while in the Benson house, and that's the, that goes over well sometimes and then not because they're saying, well, you don't understand my problem. Well, I don't. That's true, right? And I tell every you know everyone in therapy, adults and kids, like everyone gets a card, it's going to be punched in some category. You're going to have family problems. You're going to have school problems. You're going to have social problems. You're going to have physical problems. No one gets a free card. Your, your card's going to be punched in one area. And if they say, well... You know, and I'll say, what's your card punch? Well, my parents are getting a divorce, so uh-huh. it's my family. I'm like, okay, would you rather have a physical ailment? And they say, no. Nobody wants anyone else's problem, but they don't really want theirs either. Right. <laughs> but we normalize that everyone struggles in some area. Yeah. And like you said, if, if, if it's up to the adult, then we have to model our responsibilities. And maybe without complaining or dragging our feet or throwing a fit each time we do the dishes or feed the dogs or whatever it would help. The overall positivity of the household. <laughs> yeah, and today we've talked a lot about like the heat of the moment in some of these things, but a, but a lot of the magic of modeling happens when everyone's just chill and hanging out. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. it's dad saying, you know, your mom is really good cook. Like, there's a lot of moms who aren't making these kind of dinners. Like, everyone say thank you to mom tonight, right? Like, that is a nice way to model that respect. So this doesn't always happen when everybody's at their worst. A lot of this, the foundation of this can be laid when people are having a good day, too. I want to keep thinking about when you're, the dad response sometimes is, look how what all I'm doing. Does anybody understand that? That's not, <laughs> that's not it. That, that doesn't build a lot of bridges, does it? No. no and I was thinking, too. looks at you like, what are you talking about? This is your, like, oh, your hey, welcome. Job. Hey, thanks for doing your job, dad. <laughs> yeah. Or the fa- fair, I don't care if it's fair, the fair's in October. Yes. And yeah. Which is also not a... <laughs> That's not a de-escalator. Right. But your kids know you use humor, right? Most They're just always disappointed things. at me a little bit, just shaking their heads a little <laughs> bit. And some, it is okay. And you know, the thing is, is they, through that humor and those relationships, they know I love them. And I mean, and, and that really is it. And 
you know, I was, you know, there, there's these, I, I just, and I have, a, I have to individualize my relationship with my kids. Yeah. But for you, I, I want to say, you know, as adults, uh, the thing that used to drive your kids crazy will be the thing that they will find to be most sentimental. Well, they're going to have a lot of sentimental. <laughs> I'm just saying. And uh, we had a moment the uh, day before yesterday. It's all good. You know, but it, it is. I love every minute of this parenting piece. And I will say that every year when I go and I see my kids grow, there's struggle. I mean, there always is going to be. But, you know, we've cherished every moment. And every moment's been better. And there's going to be moments along the way where you feel a little desperate, right? Sure. You know, I was just having this talk with Chris, my husband, the other day. You know, if you look at the longevity of your life, you really only get these kids for mm -hmm. a, less than a quarter yeah. of your life. Yeah, when your oldest just turned 13, it hit me because my oldest is about to. And I was like, we I have five yes. more years. What are we doing? Yes, and I had a really hard day. I kept crying that day for no reason. Every time a family member would call and yes. say nice things about him, I would immediately just cry. Yeah. was not expecting that. And one of my girlfriends said, oh, because you start counting backwards. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, that's correct. You know, when they're seven, eight, nine, you're excited yes. every year. And then 13, you're like, okay, oh, like, yes. five years, four years, three. Mm -hmm. You start counting backwards, and then it becomes sad. It does. And, and I'm going to come back and say that every year is going to get better. And every year you build those relationships and try to minimize the, the, the boneheaded mistakes, which I make every day. And uh, just ask my family. But we, we try to focus on the notion of hope and well-being and engagement. And I think it really does make a big difference in the lives of our kids here in Wiley. And, you know, people talk about this, and it's hard to measure. We try as best we can about the relationship piece. And, and for example, we just did, got finished doing a hope uh, um, survey with every kid, third grade through 12th grade. Yes, and uh, we're going gonna, gonna to ask parents to go on and look at their achievement profile and see what it is. Because the averages are, like, you can score 32. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 20, you know. The high school kids have the highest hope average. Hmm. And so uh, what research tells you is that it starts dipping in sixth grade and it kind of, you know, goes along there. And then it starts in 11th grade. It's when they start, they know everything. Right. And so grade. they're, they're they can see a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> they they see like Marvel characters. Yes. They are. <laughs> I didn't realize you were a genius. Oh, another, another thing not to say to your child. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I've got a list. I should put the list of what you shouldn't say. I put that on the blog. It would be humorous, not helpful. But I do think it's good to hear that normal struggle, everyone's everyone's got a punch card, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's our job as the adult to de-escalate the situation. And if we don't know how to do that, we got to figure it out. We can't expect the kid to do it. Yeah, but telling an adult to learn something new is no easy task. Right. Because as, as hard-headed as an 11th grade boy is, try adults who are in their 40s or 50s or higher. We got it all down. Right. You know, that's one of the, I was listening to a podcast that Tom Hanks was on, and I'm not saying he's a master parent. I don't even know how parent, parent he is. He goes, you know, you always try to raise your child and do everything and, and try to grant and grow them for everything, but but what but they actually what they want to be. And uh, that's the thing is taking that step back and helping them grow and, and realize their greatest strength is going to be their strength until they're their weakness and then helping everybody get there. It's, it's a big part of it. And you do a great job with this, and uh, I'm, we're, we're real great for, for you. Parents, uh, if you have questions about respect or responsibility, man, we would love to hear from you. And also, if there's questions that you have, you know, and you are worried about your child, get with your counselor or, you know, we'll put Dr. Jameson's information here so that you'll have it because – Therapy isn't for kids who are necessarily in bad spots. It's actually a op great opportunity to grow. I think it's a great opportunity if you have a senior 
just get them uh, into just to make sure that, you know, because, hey, it's, it's finishing school time. And so if you can get them to know where they're at and get them in a healthy spot uh, when they go to college, uh, it'll make all the difference in the world. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here.